0: Welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. You see, nearly 40 years ago, 1978 was the year to be exact, during the firemen's strike in England, the British Army took over emergency firefighting. And it was on January 14th that an elderly woman in South London called them out to retrieve her cat. Not sure if it was in a tree, not sure where it was, but she needed help retrieving her cat. They arrived quickly, and then very cleverly and very carefully, they rescued her precious cat. After the the rescue, they started to drive away in their fire truck, but the woman was so grateful, she invited this squad of heroes over into her house for some tea. They were appreciative and so a little bit later after the tea as they were driving off with fond farewells and warm waving of arms they ran over the cat and killed it. Can you say a a massive case of failure? They just rescued the poor cat and now they back over it and kill it. Now Maybe you've not done that, but I would venture to say, each and every one of us, in some way, in some form, in some fashion, we've blown it. We've failed. We've messed up. The Bible says, we have sinned. Well, then what do you do? What do you do after you've blown it? What do you do after you've messed up? What do you do when you've sinned? Well, that's really where we come to as we jump back into our study in the book of Joshua. If you've got the Word of God with you, I invite you to Joshua chapter 8. We're going to be looking at almost this entire chapter this morning. Just to get you caught up to speed, it's been a, a number of weeks since we've been in the book of Joshua. We remind us that The Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. God rescued them. Remember the the plagues and the exodus as uh, God brought His Israelites out of Egypt? They then wandered in the wilderness. And then during that time, God selected Joshua as the new leader after Moses. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God was now leading them and bringing them into the promised land. We've already looked at the fact that God brought them across a flooded Jordan River. We saw that God miraculously then allowed the Israelites to conquer this mighty walled city called Jericho. That was our last time together. That was Joshua chapter 7 in this battle, if you would. As a result of the battle, there was an individual who sinned, who disobeyed. His name was Achan, and he saw some things that he shouldn't have taken. He coveted them, took them, when God said that all of this plunder should not be taken. And then we saw in chapter 7 that the end... Sin was discovered, and Achan paid some pretty high consequences for his sin. He died. His family died. And so they're coming off. Israel is coming off this massive victory over Jericho and now coming off this incredible sin. And they go to this next land, which... Would be the city of Ai, and Joshua sends out some spies. They kind of scout it out and they come back with their own report that says, piece of cake. We only need to send about two or three thousand of our troops there. So they send two or three thousand of their troops and they are soundly defeated. God was not with them, there was sin in their midst. As they ran for their lives, it says that they lost. 36 Israelites in battle. You look at that, as we mentioned last time, 36 out of maybe 3,000 is not a huge number, but it's the only defeat mentioned in Joshua. It's the only loss of life mentioned in Joshua. It's a result of this sin. So last time together, as we took a look at chapter 7, we examined some thoughts on the secrets of sin. We saw that sin is not little, sin does affect others, sin does not stay secret, and sin does keep you from God's best. You can check that out and some of the others here in this study, in this series on the website, algerag.com. It's available now on all uh, cell phones and mobile devices, uh, tablets, you name it. Anywhere you can pull that up, uh, you're able to listen to or download that we studied what really are the secrets of sin and that sin is not a secret. So what do you do now? They had conquered Jericho with God's mighty, powerful hand and then they fell to tiny little Ai. And God says there's sin and sin needed to be dealt with and we saw that at the end of chapter 7. This morning, in the balance of our time, I want to share a few thoughts on how to fail forward. How do you fail forward when you fall, when you fail, when you sin, when you mess up? Are there some principles that you can learn from? And what will you do moving forward? Principle number one in failing forward is this. Remember that you are not alone. Remember that you are not alone. In other words, everybody does it. It's sort of comforting, in a a weird kind of way, that everybody sins. Sometimes you might think you're the only one that sins. But Romans says that all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. So we've got to be cautious and remember we're not alone. Sometimes if if we're not careful, we could get maybe a little bit high and mighty and kind of looking down our nose and maybe get that finger pointing out and start looking at other people because of stuff they've done. Can you imagine what he did? Did you hear what she did? What about all of them? And we start thinking, look at what everyone else has done. Remember, we're not alone. But remember, they're not alone. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Now, what's that old statement? What's that old phrase, you know, that when when you point your finger at somebody... What about those other fingers pointing back at you, right? So we've got to be cautious when it comes to looking down our nose or pointing at other people. Remember that we're not alone, but remember that they are not alone. Each and every one of us, we have sinned. As we remember that we're not alone, remember this. Remember that God is with us. We fall, we fail, we sin, we mess up. The good news is that God is promising to be with us. 1 John 1, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't turn his back on oh, can't believe it. He messed up again. That's it. Forget him. Aren't you thankful for God's love and grace and mercy and his presence with us? Here's what the beginning of Joshua chapter 8, verse 1 says Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. It echoes some of the words. When we began this chapter, I should say, when we began this this book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, do not be afraid, don't fear, don't be discouraged. I am with you. Remember that we're not alone. We don't have to face the trials and the temptations and the discouragements on our own. Sometimes we feel as if we've fallen, we've sinned, we've we've messed up. So we've just got to go through the life all on our own and hope that somehow we can make it. The good news is God has promised us cleansing if we would confess. God has promised to be with us. Know that you are not alone. God wants to encourage you this morning. So I think a first thought in in failing forward, remember that we're not alone. We have all sinned, and God desires to be with us, that we would be cleansed, be purified, confess that sin to him. Here's a second step of failing forward. We've got to then learn from our mistakes. That's a hard one, isn't it? Because, I mean, it's summertime, and kids are out of school, But for most of us, most of us are not in school. We feel like we're done learning, right? How many of you feel like you're just done learning? School was a long time ago, and you're just done. You're D-U-N done. We often, we don't like to learn. Understand, we can learn from our mistakes. I came across this thought and this writing. It's called An Autobiography in Five Chapters. Now, it's about an individual and a hole in the sidewalk, but you could apply this to just about any kind of pressure, struggle, temptation, or sin. Here's how it goes. Chapter 1. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. Ah! I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever forever to get out. Chapter 2. I walk down the street. There's a big hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. Ah! I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. And it still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it's there. Ah! (laughs) I still fall in. By now it's a habit. My eyes are open. I know exactly where I am. I know exactly what I've done. It is my fault. And I get out immediately. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I choose to walk around it. And then chapter 5, I walk down another street. Now, you know, it's not just about holes and sidewalks, but sin and temptation. Doesn't that seem to fit what takes place? Whatever it is that has stumbled or tripped us up or tempted us that we have given in or that someone has given in to, there's something that's been there. We've fallen in. At some point, maybe we pretended we didn't see it or we saw it and and still plunged right in. Something's got to change. We've got to learn from the mistakes with God's help to see the sin, to see the things that are holding us bound and not walk down that same street, not do those same types of things. That have caused us to stumble and fall in sin. Here's what Joshua chapter 8, the second part of verse 1 and following reads. Take the whole army with you. Go up and attack Ai, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves set an ambush behind the city. God's wanting them to learn from their mistakes. What happened? They got a little cocky. They got a little confident. God rescued them in a mighty way out of Egypt. God provided for them in the wilderness, brought them across the Jordan, conquered Jericho. But if you remember, as we read Ai, not once in there does it say that they inquired of the Lord. They did not ask for his insight. They did not ask for his wisdom. They didn't see what God had to say about it. They sent some spies out, and the spies came back and said, no big deal. We'll take care of them with two or 3,000. They were not seeking God. We've got to be seeking after God. We've got to be calling on God. Are we calling on God in in a time of prayer, in a regular time of getting into his word, in a regular time of worship, in a regular time of fellowship? Are we seeking after him so that we can hear him lead and guide and direct us, that we can learn from the past and the sins and the struggles that we've had? Call on him and trust in him We looked at that when we came to our graduates, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord. Many times what we do is we encounter a sin, a struggle, a trial, a temptation, and we we might say something like this, I'll do better next time, I promise. I'll be stronger. I'll say no, or I'll say yes. What's the common denominator of all of those sentences? I. We say, I'll do this. I'll do that. If, if I was just stronger, I'd avoid that pothole in the sidewalk. Yes, we certainly have some opportunities and we have some choices to make, but we also need to make sure that we are calling upon God for His resources and His wisdom and His strength and His direction. The Israelites in Joshua chapter 8, God spoke very specifically to Joshua and said, By the way, take the whole army. And I'm going to go ahead and we're going to bless this procedure. So we've got to make sure that we remember we're not alone. We learn from our mistakes. Thirdly, obey what God commands. Here's what verse 3 and following says. Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You're to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you are to be on the alert, and all those with me will advance on the city, and when the men come out against us, just as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we've lured them away from the city, for they will say, they're running away from us just as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. Verse 8, when you have taken the city, set it on fire, do what the Lord has commanded. See to it you have my orders. This is some interesting military strategy, right? They've got a whole group of Israelites who are hiding in ambush. They can't be seen. They've got another group. They're going to come up, attack the city, engage in battle, and then run away. Ah! As they run away from the city, all of Ai is going to say, Yeah, just like last time. This time, we're, we're going we're gonna to beat them to pieces. And everybody from Ai is going to go running after the Israelites. They're drawing them away from the city. Once everybody's left the city, all of the Israelites in ambush now are going to attack the city. Destroy it. There's nothing left. And then they're going to turn and keep facing Ai, who's now in the middle. These Israelites who have run away, They're now going to turn around and they're going to go back and it's going to be an AI sandwich. The Israelites on either side of AI, they will have destroyed the city, sandwiched AI, and God will bring the victory. Pretty brilliant, godly military strategy. But the instructions were to do what God has commanded. How many times don't we hear what God has commanded? Don't we understand what God has commanded? Don't we kind of sort of know what God has commanded? We just don't always do what God has commanded. Right? So all of these instructions from God to Joshua and from Joshua to the people, and now the question is, are they really going to do it? Look at verse 10. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his army. He and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. When God commands, when God instructs, let me throw this in. Let's not wait, let's obey. Joshua, Joshua didn't wait. He, he didn't wait around to see if there was a better plan, he, he didn't sit around with some other study. God had spoken. And early, the very next morning, he put it into practice. Too often, many times, we wait on what God has spoken to us. Which is interesting, right? Because if you're a parent, or if you're a grandparent, you typically like your kids or your grandkids to obey when you ask them. That's that's. I would say a vast majority, if not unanimous majority. That's what parents want. If a parent asks a a child to clean a room, they want the room cleaned. Not next decade. And yet when it comes to us with our Heavenly Father... God speaks to our heart as we read the word. God speaks to our heart in prayer. God speaks to our heart on a Sunday morning from Joshua chapter 8. And we say, Yeah, I'll get around to that later, God. We do the very thing we don't want our kids and grandkids to do, which is delay and wait and wait and wait if we really want to move forward after failing and falling and sinning, I think part of that is this. It's obeying what God commands, but it's not waiting to do it. It's obeying right away as God instructs us. And not just obeying right away, but obeying wholeheartedly, completely, 100%. You ever had some instructions to follow and you kind of thought, ah, this seems, this seems too much. This seems too big. This seems too hard. I'll just do half of them. I'm sure that's good enough. None of you. To everybody else down the street. Sometimes we obey, but we kind of obey half-heartedly. We'll kind of, sort of follow what somebody wants us to do. Here when it comes to God, God's instructing them. Joshua's instructing the people. And it says, early the very next morning, Joshua's trying to put this into practice. But here's what verse 18 says. Then the Lord said to Joshua, hold out towards Ai, the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. This, this javelin, this spear, he says, hold out in your hand the javelin, for I'll give you the city. So Joshua held out toward the city the javelin that was in his hand. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city, captured it, quickly set it on fire. God gave Joshua instructions. He obeyed them immediately early the next morning. God gave Joshua instructions about this spear, this javelin, and he obeyed them immediately right away. He also did so wholeheartedly. Drop down, as we see sort of in between these verses, the conquering and the winning that took place, but verse 26, it says, Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. That was God's instruction as he was bringing them into the land. He he didn't withdraw when it looked like most things were done. He didn't withdraw when it looked like they could probably take care of the rest for themselves. He only withdrew after everything was completed. That's wholehearted obedience, wholeheartedly following God. And when we've fallen and when we've messed up and when we've sinned and we're looking to move forward in God... We don't do so on our own wisdom and strength. We do so obeying completely, wholeheartedly what God says for us to do. We do so right away. We do so wholeheartedly. Final thing this morning. Final principle of hopefully failing forward and not falling back into that same hole, that same pothole of sin is this. We've got to renew our commitment to God. We close out the chapter, verses 30 and following. It says Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it, they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the Law of Moses. All the Israelites, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including women and children and foreigners who lived among them. Now we read this, and it seems like we're we're missing something. Now, you can jot down a note and you can check it out this afternoon, but go back just one book in Scripture to Deuteronomy while Moses was still living, while Moses the leader was still overseeing the Israelites, and specifically chapters 27 and 28, this is exactly and precisely what Moses spoke about. There's this ark and you've got Mount Gerizim on one side, Mount Ebal on the other side, And he gives specific instructions. We're going to take half the tribes, and you're going to be on this mountain. Half the tribes, you're going to be on this mountain. One mountain is a mountain of blessings. And I'm going to read out, blessed if you do this. And every time I read, blessed are you if you do this, they're going to say, amen. And the people on this other mount, Mount Ebal, the curses, the mountains. every time I say, cursed are you if you, you're going to say, amen. And so they're reading from the Word of God, they're studying the Word of God, they're recounting exactly what Moses had set up to do. These tribes here, these tribes here, blessed are you, amen, cursed are you, amen, blessed are you, amen, cursed are you, amen. What are they doing? They're renewing their commitment to God. Achan had sinned. Achan and his family, there were consequences. But now the rest of the Israelites, as they're looking to move forward, they're wanting to renew their commitment to God. They're understanding God's instructions, God's directions. They're wanting to do what he says. They're understanding that God says, if you do this and you honor and obey, wow, you're going to be blessed. But as well, if you don't obey and you don't follow... There are curses. There are consequences for sin. So they were renewing their commitment to God, renewing their commitment to the Word of God. They're following through on exactly what Moses had written based on what God had given to him, and they're renewing their commitment to the work of God. One of the things that was interesting there, the instruction is the altar was to contain Uncut stones. In other words, just natural stones the way that they are without hammering or chiseling them to look pretty or specific. You're you're to take the stones and just build that altar with uncut stones. They were not able to add any of their human resource, any of their human effort to the stones to make it what it needed to be. It had everything the way it needed to be already from God. You and I, in our effort, in our wisdom and resources and strength, we can't add anything to what God has. We can't earn or deserve anything from God. All the work has already been done by Him. It's a reminder. No human has touched these stones. It's exactly the way coming from God. We are to renew our commitment to the Lord. I don't know where you might be or where you might be standing today. At some point in time, each and every one of us, we fall, we fail, we sin. We mess up. The good news is, if we confess, He will clean and cleanse and forgive us from all our unrighteousness. We are made pure. We are made clean yet again. So what do we do afterwards? After we've fallen, after we've sinned, after we've been cleaned and and purified from the Lord? Hopefully failing forward Remember that we're not alone. He's promised to be with us. Learn from our mistakes. Allow the Lord to guide and direct. Obey what God commands. Don't wait on it. Just do it. And wholeheartedly follow through. And then finally this morning, we've got to renew our commitment to God, to His Word, to His work, and what He desires to do in and through us.